word together. God, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the, the powerful might of your word declared. God, it doesn't return void. It truly is living and active because it's God-breathed. And so, God, thank you for the truths that have been declared from the Revelation 5 and from Psalm 98. And even now, Lord, we want to open it up and be faithful to declaring uh, the scriptures. Father, I pray you meet each of us here in this place. Give us ears to hear. Grant us eyes to see. And Father, may our desire be uh, to surrender all that we are to you. We bring these things before you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it's hard to believe it's been two years. Uh, it was about July of 2012. I met up with a leader in our church denomination, the Evangelical Free Church. And I met with him at the Starbucks over on Irving Park in Costner. You know which one I'm talking about. And uh, we sat there. My plan was to talk to him, just picking his brain about how to make disciples or followers of Jesus. And we sat down, but uh, little did I know he had another idea on his mind. And he, he told me, hey, Eric, there's a church on the corner of Oak Park and Barrie that um, is in a situation. Um, they're without a pastor, and they're looking to close their church intentionally and hand over their assets, the building and, uh, and other things, to a new church planter to start a new work there. Would you be interested in considering that opportunity? And uh, some of you guys know the story. My first answer, I told him no. Uh, we were quite happy where we were at. I was an associate pastor at Good News Bible Church over in Humboldt Park. We loved our church family there and, and didn't see that this would work out for us. We, we wanted to plant, if we ever did plant, a church that would be multi-ethnic, a church that would be a, a light and great darkness, a church in a community where there was a need for a church. And in my assumptions, I didn't think that that was this neighborhood. And so he told me, he said, well, Eric, would you at least pray about doing that? And, and, um, and I say often, of course, like a, a good pastor should say, I say, yes, I will pray about it. And like a typical person, I didn't. Um, I went home and forgot about it. And uh, about a week or so passed, and, and God began to poke in my heart and said, you know, Spirit was just telling me, like, hey, Eric, you, you said you'd pray about it. So uh, I began to pray about it with Erica uh, every night before bed as we do each night. And we began to ask God, you know, God, if this is something you want for us, just uh, you know, make that clear to us. And this was kind of a casual prayer. We weren't really crying out to God. Uh, but what God does is when he has a will and he wants to work it, he begins to move. And he began to soften our hearts to the neighborhood to the point where I said, you know, let me, let me do some research about the community. And begin to do, I began to do some uh, some studies, some cultural studies of our community and began to find out it was much more that met the eye than I understood. There was a beautiful diversity that was here in the Montclair neighborhood. There was a darkness that was here because there weren't many churches. There are 42,000 people within a one-mile radius of this building, and there aren't many churches. And we thought, you know, there's got to be more light there. So we began to pray, and one day we came here to do a prayer walk, and Erica was seven months pregnant at the time, so our prayer walk was like a block. And um, so we, we came back to the car and said, you know, maybe we should try driving instead. And so we, we drove through the neighborhood and, and said, you know, there's, there's something sweet about this place. And it was God who was moving in our hearts. And at the time, I think I was reading something in the book of John in my quiet time and, and saw the many places where Jesus talks about people thirsting and Began to see this community is parched. The, the ground is dry. It needs, it needs the water of life. It needs the brook. 
And so we, we began to pursue the opportunity. And uh, the day that Levi was born, we got a phone call saying, hey, Eric, we want you guys, you want you and your family to, to do this work. And so we went back to our church family at Good News and began a journey with them and what it would look like as we transitioned out. And it was a tough journey. It was a painful one. I, 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 as we were singing here, I just overwhelmed just remember, remembering um, how scared we were. Just so scared. Saying, what are we, what are we doing? We, we have a church family at, at our previous church that we love so much. I remember at night just sweating. <laughs> the day we announced it, I just sat up in bed what did, what did I do? And, um, but God was at work, and we couldn't dream of it. We knew that God could do it. We knew that he can create a new family here, not in replace of our old. We love, we love our old family. But in addition to, we, we knew he could do it, just, just couldn't imagine what it would look like. And uh, we didn't have faces. We had five of us and 12 from the Grace Church that was here previously. We're like, all right, there's 17 of us. Um, what's what's, what's going to happen now? And um, God, just, God just worked. He began to draw people, people that we knew who were disconnected, people who were far from God. We're like, you know, God's got something going with them. Let's reach out to them. Let's, let's just step on a limb and, and say, hey, let, let them know we're starting a church and, and see if something new would happen. And God began to do it. We launched October 6, 2013. And um, we just for a year saw the wonderful things God did. And the following summer, God brought a church family, Kaleo Church, to join with us that summer. And uh, right off the bat, God just created a marriage there, and we, we became one family. And for a year now, we've been laboring together, and others of you have come along the process. Some of you began to come when we, when we had our preview service, our Discover the Brook services we did once a month before we launched. And look out and see some of you that came at that time. Others of you came because a family member brought you. And we just look back and say, God, God has done it. We want to give God all of the glory for it. And I share this story because, man, I'm so prone and you are so prone to forget. It's so easy to be fixated on the frustrations. It's so easy to be focused on all the failures. But what we want to do is we want to savor God's salvation. We, we want to delight in all of his deliverances. We've seen God at work, and shame on us if we don't praise him for it. Let it not be here, family. Let it not be said of us that we forgot what God did. And so today, we're going to put our eyes on the past, celebrate in the present, and dream for the future of what God might do. And today, we're going to do that from Psalm 98. If you have your Bible, would you turn with me to Psalm 98? And it is in the pew in front of you. And um, when you turn there, can someone tell me what page number Psalm 98 is on? What was that? 500 even. Perfect. Psalm 98. As you see, the small two-word title says it's a, a psalm. Thank you. That was really helpful. Um, it doesn't provide us a context of when this psalm was written and what were the things, the scenarios around it. But as we, we peer into it, we'll get some ideas. I want to read the first three verses, which were already read, but I want to do it again to get it in front of us. God's word says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Can someone say new song? New song. 
for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. We don't just sing to anybody. Well, what did the psalmist say? Who do we sing to? More specifically, the Lord. In your Bibles, the Lord is in all capitals, which is, means that it's in Hebrew, the name of Yahweh the covenant-keeping God of Israel, the one who met Moses at the burning bush, the one who delivered his people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. It is this one to whom the psalmist says, sing to him. Sing to him, not just any song, but a new song. And some of you are like, man, what's the psalmist got about old songs, you know? He's got nothing against old songs. In fact, Psalm 120 to 134 are called the Psalms of Ascent. There were songs that the people of Israel would sing as they marched up to the hill of Jerusalem. And they would say things like, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heavens and earth. And they would sing that song often. He's got nothing against old songs. In fact, today we sing Jesus paid it all. The song was written in 1865, 150 years old. We're all about singing old songs. But what is it about a new song? That the psalmist is saying, we got to sing a new song. Well, first of all, Psalm 98, I think, is the new song he's talking about. But eight times in the Bible, we're told, we're, we're told to sing a new song to God. And in each of those eight times, if you look at those chapters, you'll see that the psalm or the song is situated around God's mighty deliverances. And what the psalmist is saying here is, remember how God has delivered and now sing a new song to him. Psalm 40, verse 3, talks about how God delivered him from the pit and from the clay, from that dark place. And he says, I'll sing to the Lord a new song. Or as was read in Revelation 5, we look at the lamb who was slain and ransomed for himself a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And what do the elders and angels do? They sing a new song, saying, worthy is the lamb. And here the psalmist is saying, there is something particularly special when seeing God's deliverances about lifting up a new song to him. The reason is this. New songs and fresh praise help us to not forget the why of worship. New songs remind us of the why of worship. Why are you here today? Why do we sing songs? Why do we talk about Jesus so much? Why do we worship him? And the psalmist tells us we worship the Lord. And just his name alone reminds us of his character. The name of Yahweh is to say that I am that I am. He is eternal past, eternal future. He is without end. He is boundless. He is self-sufficient. He is the God of gods, the creator of this universe. Why do we worship? We worship God because of who he is. But the the psalmist also says, sing to the Lord a new song. Why? For he has done marvelous things. He is at work doing marvelous things. The psalmist is saying, don't fixate on the failures and frustrations, but remember what God has done. 
And that's why we're celebrating this morning. We want to remember the marvelous things that God has done. The psalmist says that his right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation, deliverance for his people. Verse 2 says that the Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed. Look at the language. He has made known and revealed. He has done what he has done for everybody to see. God has not worked for his works to be kept in secret. He has made them known and revealed them in the sight of the nations. It says in verse 3 that all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God because when God acts, he acts in public. We don't know why or what the situation around Psalm 98 was. Maybe it was a reflection of how God delivered his people out of Egypt. Maybe it was a reflection of how God brought his people out of exile in Babylon and brought them back to Jerusalem. Or maybe it's left to be vague so that we can remember in all of God's deliverances to sing him a new song, to sing out to him. Because when we do such, people will see God's mighty hand at work. I remembered in the book of Joshua chapter 2, God led his people out of the wilderness and he told Joshua, I'm bringing you into the promised land. And he sent two spies into the city of Jericho and there they found a woman named Rahab who had been a prostitute in the past and a a lady who had uh, many things looked down upon her. But out of her mouth came beautiful declarations because she feared God. And this is what she says. In Joshua 2, she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. She says this, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what he did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And she says, and as soon as we heard Our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Rahab says, we have heard about your God's deliverances. And because of it, she says, we know that you are coming to take this land, and you're going to do it. You see, when God works, he works in public for all to see. And in those days, there would be shepherds in the field, and they would see a war take place, and they'd see the army that would win, and they would flee to the town and say, hey, they're coming. This is what they did. There would be watchmen on a mountain, seeing at a distance, saying, look what's taking place, and they'd go back and tell others in the city. They would make known God's works because God doesn't work in private. He's made it public. He's made it known for all to see. There's a story in the book of John chapter 4 where Jesus meets a woman at a well. This woman was an outcast in society. She'd been married multiple times and she felt like she was disgraced and disowned. And yet Jesus says, no, I still got work in your life. He meets her at a well in the middle of the day where no one went out there. She was there clearly because she was shamed. And Jesus tells her, he tells her in John 4, everyone who drinks of this water at this well will be thirsty But then he goes on to tell her, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. And he talks about this lady and begins to tell her about her life. And she's saying, there's something special about him. And when we go into chapter 4, John, it says the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town 
and were coming to him. You see, this is a woman who God had been working in her life, and she couldn't remain silent. She made known God's work to the people. She declared what Jesus had done. Family, I want us to do that today. I want us to make known what God has done. I want us to not forget. I want us to say, God, you have worked in public, and we want people everywhere to see it. So I'm going to list some things that we've seen God do over the past year, year and a half, two years. And after that, I'm going to ask you the question, how? And I want you to respond saying, God did that. So when I say how, you say, This past year, we baptized 17 people who said that they wanted the world to know that the old them has died and the new them has come. How does that happen? (laughs) We had 10 children on the stage dedicated this past June because parents want their children to follow Jesus. How does that happen? The poor kids are learning downstairs about Jesus. Parents are praying with their kids, trying to learn how to do family worship for the first time. How does that happen? Yeah. People are connecting in deep ways in our real community groups, carrying burdens with each other, crying with each other, living life together. How does that happen, family? People are seeing their workplaces as mission fields. How? Addictions are being broken. People are being set free from bondage to sin. Healing is taking place. How? Don't be lethargic here. God's opening doors for us to serve at Steinmetz High School. And we, we were chaperoning their homecoming dance last year, and they asked us to do it again this year. We were at prom. We, we chaperoned prom. We've been on field trips. We were at a lock-in. How does that happen in the public schools? God did that. Our ladies were on a retreat this past winter. Many women trusted in Jesus for the first time. Some of you are here today because of it. How does that happen? There is a movement of prayer in this church from the ladies' prayer line to in our real community groups, burdening with our burdens, praying for each other. How does that happen, family? Potluck after potluck, (laughs) dish after dish. We are living like a family People who didn't know each other months ago now say, you're my brother, you're my sister. How does that happen? We sing to the Lord a new song, family, because he has done marvelous things. We want to remember all that he's done and give him all the glory for it. He alone is worthy to be worshipped. We sing a new song because it reminds us of the why of worship. And the why is because there is a God who is real. And he is steadfast in his love. He has come to bridge the gap between you and him because of your sin. And he has brought salvation to many of you who've surrendered your life to Jesus. He does it to all who surrendered their lives to Jesus. And many of you have done that. God has done marvelous things. And so we brag about him. We sing new songs because we want to remember the why of worship. And when we worship Rightly, when our worship is rightly aimed, our worship will then be unrestrained. Let's look at verses 4 through 7. I'm sorry, 4 through 6. The psalmist goes on. Make a joyful noise. Can you say joyful noise? 
to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise, somebody say it, before the King, the Lord. The psalmist is saying, you've seen what God has done, don't be quiet about it. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Now the word make a joyful noise is one word in Hebrew. And it is a word that is used when armies went out to war and they began to prep themselves and get themselves amped for the battle. And they began to shout and scream, trying to get riled up, ready to fight. And the psalmist is saying here, let's begin to get riled up. Let's get thankful for God. Let's shout his praise. Let's make a joyful noise. Not just a regular noise. Let's not just shout, but a joyful noise because of what God has done. He's saying, please don't let yourself be muzzled. Don't let your worship be silenced. God has done marvelous things. We've got to make a joyful noise. But then he says, let's break forth in a joyous singing. You see the spontaneity about that. Now, you've heard about the Harlem Shake on that airplane. You know about it, right? You don't know about that? No. Well, there was a, <clears throat> a dance some time ago called the Harlem Shake. It's still around. But there was a, 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 a plane in flight one day. And someone put the Harlem Shake on their radio on the airplane. And it got up in the aisle and started to dance. And someone else saw them and began to dance with them. And before you know it, the entire airline was dancing the Harlem Shake spontaneously in the middle of the aisle, some thousand feet in the air. The FAA wasn't happy about that, but it made for a YouTube sensation. What the psalmist is saying, sometimes you're in the car and you just remember what God has brought you from. You just scream for joy. You just shout that thing out. Don't do it at work too much. People might be like, What's going on over there? But, but when, we are, when we see God's mighty hand and we're reminded of what he's done, we just say, hallelujah. Thank you, God, for the ways you've worked in my life. But you see, that kind of joy is only for those who surrender to Jesus. And our great passion has been from day one to see people who are far from God brought near to him. And we can't break forth. We can't have this joyful noise about us if we're holding on to the things that we know dishonor God. If you hold on to that relationship, you know God doesn't want you to be in. And you say, I want to praise God here, yet I want to hold on here. God said, there's there's no joy there. you're, You're walking in bondage. You're not knowing the fullness of my freedom for you. Or if you hold on to that sin or that heart of pride or that, that selfish ambition that says, I want what I want, yet I want God on Sunday mornings. God's like, no, that's, that's not it. It's for those who've surrendered their lives to Jesus, who've experienced his deliverance and who are striving to walk in that freedom. I love that testimony Jatame gave. We haven't arrived, none of us. But those who've surrendered their life to Christ are saying, God, we're, we're in progress here. We're following hard after you. We know that we belong to you and now we're walking in that freedom. And it is for those that the psalmist say, says, you can break forth in the songs of joy because you know your God. You will sing praises to the Lord with lyre and with the sound of melody, different instruments, making his praises known. See, worship that is rightly aimed will become worship that is unrestrained. You can't hold it back when you're focused on God. You know, family, on Sundays, uh, 
we, we sing songs here, and often we'll sing new songs, and sometimes we'll sing old songs and try to get to know them. And we have a very intentional flow in our Sunday morning services. And some of you may know of it, some of you may not. But every Sunday, we open up with a declaration about who God is, just like the psalmist does. Sing to the Lord. And either be a call to worship or a song that will say our God is great and we worship him. And shortly after that, we'll have a, a, a song or a reading that will just remind us how much we need him. So we want to put our gaze on God, but we were reminded how we need you. Like today, I hear the Savior say, your strength indeed is small. It's just reminding us how, how much we need him. And, and then we look at the cross. We say, Jesus paid it all. We have a scripture in that look at the cross of Jesus and how he ransomed us. And then usually we have a song that's now a declarative praise and response. And today, we said our, your praise will ever be on our lips. And we stand with arms high hearts abandoned and that's our flow because we want us to behold God and when we behold God we see our need and when we see our need we see Jesus who bridged that gap and when we surrender to Jesus we declare his praises we make a joyful noise some of you said yeah it's noise when I sing but God's pleased in it amen well, we know that our God is not just the God of yesterday nor is he just a God of today, which is he is. I'm praising for that. But he's also a God of tomorrow. And the psalmist says this in verses 7 through 9. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Love that. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the people's with equity. The psalmist is saying, as we make praises to God in the now, we do so knowing that he's coming back. And he says, because of that, let all creation rejoice. I love how he gives creation, inanimate objects, the ability to worship God. Let the seas roar. So when you look out in the sea, you see it foaming and roaring. The psalmist is saying, it's as if it's praising God there. Just yesterday, um, we were uh, having a story time in our, in our family room, and, and uh, Erica pointed out to the window, and you saw the, the trees just shaking in the wind, and, and she looked at our uh, Keziah and said, the trees are clapping. They're clapping for God. And, and that's what the psalmist is saying. It's like, look at God at work, and in creation, see his glory. See how creation sings his praises and awaits the return of the king, the great king, God Almighty. And truly, this is what has inspired our mission from day one. Because we know that Jesus has come, and when he ascended into heaven after his resurrection, he said he's coming back. And when he comes back, that means life for those who know him, and it means separation for those who don't. And so what we want to do is we want to be on mission. We want people who are far from God to know him before he comes, so that when he comes, it's a day of rejoicing for them. The fact of God's return, of Jesus' coming, inspires mission for us at the brook. John Piper, a pastor that was in Minnesota, once said that mission exists because worship doesn't. And when we came to the Montclair neighborhood, we saw there were some faithful churches, and we're so thankful for them. 
But we knew that there were far too many people for any one or two church, churches. And, and we said, worship doesn't exist in every place of this community. And because there's not worship, then there must be mission. Because we want to be on mission in this community and raise up worshipers. We want you to worship Yahweh, the God of Israel. We want you to find your all in all in Jesus. We want you to know that there is no other solution outside of Jesus Christ that will bring satisfaction to the deepest of your longings. We want you to know there is nothing you can do to cover your own sin. Nope, there's nothing you can do but surrender to Jesus. And when you do that, where mission once was, worship now exists. And we long to see that happen throughout this neighborhood We want that to happen in your life. We want you to sing a new song. We want you to sing a new song. At the Brook, we celebrate, and we want to see God multiply disciples and his followers of Jesus. We want to multiply real community gatherings throughout the week in different neighborhoods. Ultimately, we want to multiply churches. We want communities that are like ours without the light of God's goodness. We want to send people there. I shared this summer with you guys in our vision meeting. I look forward to the day where we can just give 15, 20, 25 of you the blessing to say, hey, we want you to go plant a church in this particular neighborhood that you have a burden for. And say, you have our blessing. Let's see what God does. That sounds scary to you? Yeah, to me too. But this was scary for us. And God is doing it. And so we never want to be complacent. Jesus is coming back. Life is short. Hell is real. Heaven is awesome. What are we going to do? We want to make much of our great God. People often ask us where the name of the brook came from. And as I mentioned today, because we saw a community was thirsting. As we look in the scriptures, we see throughout the Bible different displays of what God talks about when he says thirst. We saw how Jesus comes to the woman at the well, says, you can drink of this water in this well, but you'll be thirsty again. But I got water for you, and you'll never thirst. And she's like, give me that water. Jesus is talking about himself and the power of his Holy Spirit. Revelation 21 says this, it is, says this, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Jesus offers water to those who are thirsting. But throughout the Bible, we see this call, the call to come and drink. Isaiah 55.1, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. God is offering satisfaction for their longings. But he says, you've got to come. John seven thirty seven. Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. If you're here today and you're thirsting, maybe you're thirsting because You've got all kinds of things in your life tripping you up. You've got decisions to make that you know you need to make, and you've been stalling on that thing. And you're afraid of what's going to happen when you choose to honor God. Your body's parched, and you're thirsting. Jesus is saying, come to me. Come to me and find satisfaction, but you must surrender your life to me. There's others of you today just saying, man, I, that's what I need to hear. Because I've been trying to go, and I'm just working so hard, and I'm parched like I'm running a marathon. Surrender your life to Jesus. Confess your sin to him. Know and believe that he died on your behalf. Turn from your sin and walk with him. Find satisfaction. 
the beautiful irony of the Christian life is that we find satisfaction in Jesus, and as we walk with him, we continue to thirst for him even more. Revelation 22, the very last chapter of the Bible, John writes, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And the one who hears says, Come. This is coming, uh, crying out for Jesus to come back. It says, And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take water of life without price. And truthfully, that's what we want to see happen. We want to see people come from far, find their satisfaction in Jesus, and I say, Jesus, come back. Come back. Family, will you make a joyful noise to God? Will, will you make and sing a new song because of God's deliverances? Or are we going to forget what he's done? Are, are we going to not let people know how he's been at work? Let it not be here, family. Let it not be here. I want to pray. I'm going to invite our worship team to come on up and, uh, and our prayer leaders to come on up. And as you come here today and you hear this good news, that the burdens of your heart, that the sin that holds you down can be freed through Jesus. We want you to surrender your life to Jesus. All of us who've done that have become part of God's family. And we know what it means to, to find our freedom and forgiveness and satisfaction in Jesus. And we want that for you. So let's stand to our feet as I pray here. God, this morning, we make a joyful noise to the Lord. God, to you who is above all things, for you have done wonderful things. Lord, we celebrate all of your goodness. We thank you for each life that has been changed. We thank you for the cross of Jesus. That there he took our guilt our shame, our sin, our rebellion. And in exchange, you declare us right before you. You give us your righteousness. So Lord, we come this morning thanking you. God, let your glory fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. And use us, your church, to be your messengers, God. God, when we trip and fall, may we hold each other up. When we're found in darkness, God, may others show us the light. And may we, God, be about your mission. Storming the gates of hell with our white flags raised. mighty acts. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing this final song, family, we do have prayer team who's in the front here and in the back, and we just love to pray with you. No matter what kind of prayer burden you carry, we want to pray with you. We want to bring our burdens to God in thirsty prayers, knowing that he hears us. But as we sing this song, let's make a joyful noise to God. Let's lift our voices to him. If you're grateful for Jesus, if you're thankful to God for all that he's done, let this room echo and resound with that praise. 
And as we leave this place, let our community and the people in our lives hear of God's praises. Are you ready to lift your voices together, family? Yeah, let's do that for His glory. See